White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow, Carlton Burns has put the White Sox ahead. There goes number 400 for Big Brad Burns. takes a perfect game. His second no-hitter. You can't put it on the board. Yeah. Can it go? Grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson. This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked on Socks podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome back to Locked on Socks. It is a glorious one because the White Sox have won five in a row after beating the Milwaukee Brewers up in the Goodland, six to four today. And this is Herb Lawrence alongside Chris Tannehill. How does five wins in a row sound, Chris Tannehill? I didn't even know you can do that. I don't even know if you White Sox could win five in a row. Is that even possible? What do you think, Bill Walton? The White Sox win. Print the banner. Line up the parade. Michigan Avenue on the Studge Turkle Bridge, Division Street. Let's go. And this episode of Lockdown White Sox is brought to you by our friends at Postmates. Welcome back, Postmates. You know, if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. I'm a big boy, and that's why I love using Postmates. But I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without even leaving my house or even opening the door. And given what's going on in the world and it's not going anywhere, they've created non-contact delivery. So important these days. So now when I order my food from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates pickup, which is really cool. It's not just food from your favorite restaurants. Postmates will also go and grab your favorite stuff from Walgreens and 7-Eleven, places like that, and then they'll drop it right outside your door. So all you got to do is download the Postmates app for iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. Here's what you got to do. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners 100 bucks of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use our promo code LOCKEDON. That's right. That's our promo code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need. Anytime you need it, Postmate it. Yeah, Herbie, so this game had a little bit of everything tonight. We had, you know, some pitching, you know, great job by the bullpen tonight. You had lead changes. You had some timely hitting. It really had everything. I mean, give me more of this, by the way. I mean, if this is going to be the norm uh, from this point forward for the next, you know, 50-some-odd games or whatever, more of this, please. What a great game tonight, Herb. Yeah, and it's a testament to the team. You get a injury to Carlos Rodon after two innings pitched. His fastball was in the upper 80s, if that. He was laboring. It looks like a. Uh, I think they came out with a elbow or shoulder problem. At shoulder the, left shoulder, shoulder tightness. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. So that's never good. He's already had a couple shoulder surgeries in the off season, so not good. But then you get guys who pick him up. I mean, Foster looked good tonight. James Fry looked a little off. Stichek looked a little off. But then Ross Detweiler. You find, uh, uh, sometimes you find a uh, diamond in the rough. And Ross Detweiler was on the team last year. It's a starter. 
really wasn't good, but maybe he's found his niche as a reliever. He came in and was dealing. And of course, we got Evan Marshall, who's been unhittable this year. And Alex Colomay looked decent today, looked at his best outing. A face versus tough people. I mean, that Keston here is a tough customer. And then, of course, even though he's having a bad year, he had a good day today. Christian Yelich is no, no easy out. So, man, that bullpen again comes through for the for the White Sox. And then the hitting uh, when they were down by four to two and they just said, you know what? F it. Let's go out and help our pitchers out, help our relievers out and get some runs. And like I put on Twitter, all the runs driven in today were driven in by Cubanos. So all Cubans driven in runs. Mancada, Abreu, and Grandal accounted for all the runs driven in. And then all Cubans scored every run, except for Larry Garcia scored on the pass ball. Uh, That means two for Luis Robert, leadoff hitter extraordinaire, two for Yohan Mancada, and one for Jose Abreu. So the Cuban connection is working out for the White Sox very nicely. I think it's time to cancel the White Sox. It's not very inclusive behavior for only to have the, the Cubans uh, producing <laughs> runs tonight, but yeah, that big, big home run by, by Jose Abreu. I, I found myself thinking during that at-bat, I was like, man, when's Jose going to come through with with a, with a big hit, big home run this year? He's been kind of quiet so far out of the shoot, but that was could not have picked a bigger moment to deliver there in the clutch to tie the game at four, but let's backtrack a little bit. Um, we could go on and on and talk about tonight's game, and, and there was some good and some bad. Uh, you mentioned the offense a little bit. You know, the guys that, that were not Cuban in the lineup but had, had some issues with the approach tonight. This was this is sort of like a recipe uh, for things to go wrong for young, aggressive hitters. You had a lot of brewers pitching out, out there who was, you know, throwing ground balls, you know, sinkers, breaking balls, and, and the Sox hitters going after pitches early in the count. Uh, inducing a lot of ground ball outs early, um, but they they came through it in the end. But let's go back to Rodon a little bit. We said he left the game with left shoulder tightness, and you mentioned the velocity. Um, Jim Margulis from Sox Machine pointed this out very early in the game. He was the first one to mention it. In fact, uh, Vinny Duber even mentioned it in the uh, his NBC Sports Chicago story. So. In Rodon's first start, he averaged 92.8 miles an hour. Tonight, just 89.1. And he finishes with only two innings pitched, three hits, one run, one strikeout. And I remember thinking early, this might be a good night for Rodon. He was pounding the zone. He was getting outs. And, and you know, that that's all you want. You want for him to just get out of that first inning, especially after what happened last game. You want to kind of navigate that first part of the ball game relatively smoothly. But then he comes out with the velocity issues, and, and they yank him. And a lot of people are saying, you know, it's kind of similar to what happened to Jimmy Lambert. And, and you have, you know, you combine that with the injury to Ronaldo Lopez. Now all of a sudden, what was supposed to be a strength for the White Sox is now a huge weakness. What do you think is the next step here? What do they do with Rodon uh, going forward in the next start? Do they just go with Ross Detweiler, or do they kind of just not – you know, mess with that. He's he's doing well out of the bullpen. Do you think they give him a start? What do you think their options are here, Herbie, for uh, Rodon's next start in the rotation? What I do is shut down Rodon for the season. It's unfortunate. I mean, you don't pitch off of what, you know, like the first start, I think he was in the mid-90s. You don't go from the mid-90s to high 80s just because. I think he might be seriously hurt. And that's the thing with him. In his career, he's been hurt 
more than he's actually played. So for the next start, I want Ross Detweiler to be the guy that he's been so far. So I'm going to keep him in the role that he is, like kind of that middle reliever slash shutdown guy in a high leverage situation. The guy I bring up is one of the guys that I've been touting for a couple years now. It's Dane Dunning. He, like Rodon, like Jimmy Lambert before him, is coming off of Tommy John's surgery. So people are a little hesitant to put him into the pitching rotation because these two guys have had uh, arm strains for Jimmy uh, for uh, Jimmy Lambert. It's a, a forearm strain, and now it's a shoulder problem for Rodon. I think Dane Dunning is destined for uh, a back end of the rotations guy anyway. So let's try him out this year. Let's see what he has. I don't believe necessarily in any other guy on the current roster to start games for the White Sox. Now I can go out and find somebody else on the cheap, but if the guys that they have on the roster on the 60-man, Dane Dunning is my next guy up. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this year is just so frustrating and because you know a lot of these injuries are happening because of the the, the, the fast ramp-up time as they got going here late in the season. You, you get guys going, then they stop. Then you try to get them ramped up again in short order. And it's just it's it's happening all over the league. It's not just the White Sox. It's not a White Sox problem. Do you think we've seen the last of Carlos Rodon in a White Sox uniform? He's under contract control for another year uh, after this one. But do you think this is the last time we see him? I saw a lot of that on social media tonight. Though. This is it for Rodon. What do you think? Um, I think the White Sox have invested a third pick overall in him. They're going to squeeze everything they have out of him. So if this isn't a serious, another serious shoulder injuries that he has to rehab for a couple uh, months, I think the White Sox will bring him back for 2021. Because as we have said previously, when he does pitch, he's pretty decent. And to find good pitching like that, is hard to find, but you know, the best ability is availability and he hasn't been that in his career, but you're what selling for pennies on the dollar. If you trade him now, if you release him, somebody else is going to get him and put him into a role that I think is more suited to his strengths. Maybe a short reliever, maybe a guy like hater. I think we were talking about earlier in the year where he's just a guy that comes in throws fastball slider and that's it. And he doesn't have to worry about length. He just has to worry about the three or four batters. He faces that inning. So um, I would say that the white Sox are going to keep him for as long as they can, as long as he's under team control and there's no real reason, unless somebody, you know, does a dumb thing and gives them way too much value for Carlos Rodon in a trade market. You go ahead and throw it throw that Carlos Rodon to that team if they really want him. But otherwise, I think Carlos Rodon is going to be a White Sox until his service time is up. So Foster, Fry, Ciszek, Detweiler, Marshall, and Colomay come in, uh, in in aid of Carlos Rodon after he only goes two innings pitch. A great job by the bullpen tonight. But let's talk about our guy, Luis Roberts, leading off. This is going to be the norm for the next decade. Luis Roberts leading off. He just... It, it creates a whole different dynamic for the offense to have a guy like like Robert in the top of your lineup leading off the game, and it just he he hasn't been phased by any of it. It's it's really remarkable tonight. Luis goes two for three, two walks, uh, still his OPS holding strong at nine eighty four. 
just just the dimension he brings. He starts off the game obviously, and you know he gets in scoring position after Moncada's double, but he leads off the game getting on base. This is just what a revelation this is, man. And I don't know what happens with with Tim Anderson once he comes back, but I'm not moving Luis Robert from that leadoff role. Me either. And you know what I'm doing? I'm putting Tim back in his beloved seventh spot where he belongs in this lineup now. So we're all bitching about Tim Anderson hitting seventh last year when he's leading the league in hitting. And he was doing this behind A.J. Reed and garbage players like that last year. Now it makes sense for Tim Anderson to be the seven hitter, maybe the eight hitter and turning over a lineup, hitting in front of Nick Madrigal, whatever it is. But yeah, like you said, it doesn't seem like pitchers want to pitch to Luis Robert and they know anything close to the zone he's going to be swinging at. So I better get this ball over the plate, even though that last at bat he had was a little suspect. That 3-1 take of that fastball right down the pipe was, ah, it hurt my heart so badly because I was looking for him to jack that out, but didn't make any sense, but whatever. Um, Yeah, the kid is a mainstay now at the leadoff position. You've seen what's happened since he's been there. The White Sox have been hitting like madmen. I think 47 hits was the number in the last three games. I don't know if that's directly a tribute to him, but he has set the tone for the game. I actually missed the first two uh, at-bats. I had to go back and catch up to the game later on, and I just saw that at-bat. I was like, man, this guy is not scary. He's not afraid. I think Steve Stone came on, said he has this arrogance about him, which is a good thing. He knows that he can hit anybody. He knows no fastball can go past him. He knows that that pitcher if it's Clayton Kershaw, if it's Corbin Burns who was filthy today, if it's anybody in that lineup, it doesn't matter. Josh Hader, I can hit that guy. And yeah, I just started. I don't give a damn. I'm great. And that feels good to have a guy that knows he's great and presents itself as such. At top of the eighth inning, Corey Knable comes in, and Robert had an opportunity there to, to sort of break the game open a little bit. Um, and, and I thought to myself, I was like, man, Luis Robert is in total control right now. But in typical baseball fashion, Corey Knable comes back, hits him with two low fastballs for called strikes in the zone, uh, and then he gets him up high with a fastball. So that that might be thing. Well, I'd like to see how Robert adjusts because he doesn't see a lot of fastballs. We talked about it in yesterday's episode. He's only seen about 30% fastballs, some of the lowest in baseball right now. So it'll be interesting to see if people use his aggressiveness against him as far as fastballs go, sort of going up and down in the zone. So that's something to watch out for going forward with Robert. But so far, I've loved the approach in that leadoff spot. Still not trying to do too much. And even as a rookie, you know, thrust into that leadoff role. He's 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 not over swinging. And two walks too tonight. Yeah, like you like what would you like? I would be the that would be the last thing I would think that he would do. It was like those guys were pitching around him, and he was like, "I'm just gonna take them. Fuck it. If they're not gonna pitch to me, I'm just gonna sit here and take these pitches smoothly." But yeah, I was surprised. Two walks, two runs scored, two stolen's today. So it's all good. Uh, it's something that turns out to not matter in the big picture, um, but uh, something in the middle of the game that kind of had people riled up, myself included. I was definitely first guessing this one. So when uh, when Jace Fry's still in the ball game, they intentionally walk to get to Christian Yelich to uh, to load the bases for for Yelich. Ricky's like, you know what? 
Yelich is struggling right now. I trust my guy, Jace Fry. I think it was a horrible move because Yelich had already hit the ball hard a couple of times earlier in the game. And so what does he do? Naturally, Christian Yelich strikes out. And then ultimately, Avi uh, ends up singling uh, <laughs> after Ciszek comes in. And how about Avi becoming a Sox killer uh, back again, full circle? He was a Sox killer eight years ago, back in 2012, when he was mm-hmm. when he was still a young a young Detroit Tiger, uh, you know, <laughs> hitting behind Miguel Cabrera. And that's that was an entire lifetime ago. I wasn't even married yet. I didn't have a kid, and yet here goes Avi Garcia, of course. Uh, being the the biggest force of run production tonight for the Brewers, but th- that's going to be a rough ride for them with Avi in, in center field, I think. So Ricky making the decision to 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 pitch around and get to Yelich with the bases loaded. It's funny, every, everyone hated the move. I still, you know, we always talk about arguing process versus results, and and Ricky's shown a tendency to do that before. He did it last year, I believe, to Bryce Harper when the Sox played the Nats. But the same thing. I always talk about a manager has got to put his guys in a position to succeed. Now, I would argue that having uh, the perennial MVP candidate Christian Yelich up in a position with bases loaded is not putting your guys in a position to succeed. But I also I kind of don't hate the move because you're also putting your guy in a position where you're saying, hey, look, I believe in you to get this out. And ultimately, he did to that hitter. So what do you think about the thought process behind that move by Ricky? And what do you think about that as a concept of, of putting your guys in, in a spot where you're saying, hey, I, I believe in you that you can do this, especially with someone like Jace Fry. That For him, that could be a moment where Jace Fry's kind of just been – you know, middling here for for a couple seasons, for a few years, and we kind of don't really know what you have with them. He's not a guy you can re- depend on in high leverage spots. You know, he's he's not a guy that you put in when when you're up by a run or two late. So, what what do you think about that thought process and just that as a concept of of, of Ricky just kind of putting a guy in a tough spot and saying, "Hey, go ahead, get out of it." Uh, I'm not a fan of it, not at all. I like you first guessed that and said. This is not a good move. I am not a fan of this. You don't. I don't care if Christian Yelich is not hitting as yet as of yet. Do not load the bases for him. He is a deadly hitter, especially there at Miller Park. He got away with it. It was a great strikeout of Christian Yelich, but you know we saw the next hitter get a single, which was Avi Garcia, and drove in two runs. I think, yeah, maybe Jace Fry has a little confidence because he got a big-time hitter out. But I would rather – I don't know what the real move is right there. Do you – are we upset if second and third, one out, and Jace Fry has to pitch to Keston Hera, a right-handed batter, and then Keston Hera gets that single? Are we yelling at Ricky for not walking Keston Hera? I don't think we are. We're like – those were the cards he was dealt with. You don't want to load the bases for Christian Yelich. He pitches to Keston Hera. I guess you have to do it. I don't even know if um, at that time Jace had faced enough batters to get out of the game. Can Ricky go to somebody else in that regard? We wouldn't have yelled at Ricky if Keston Hera gets that single. Actually, we would have yelled at him for keeping Jace Fry in the game because you know you have the uh, righty available, and and Jace Fry had faced the three minimum batters that he had to face in that inning. To go and get him would have been fine. Um, so 
it's always about process. It is. So the result turned out better with Yelich striking out, but also eventually Avi got a single. So the result really didn't turn out to be great. I would have wanted him either chase Fry versus Keston Hira or bring in Evan Marshall right there to get Keston Hira and also Kristen Yelich out right there. Or once you get Keston Hira out, you walk Kristen Yelich and you load the bases for Avi Garcia. And if he gives up a hit right there, you tip the cap. But it's all about doing the right things at the right time. Because if right there, Christian Yelich hits a home run or gets a single, everybody's on Ricky's ass after this game, right? Of course, yeah. Rightfully so. so. Yeah. I just think that, you know, just because the results are not favorably, we as fans can't just be like, hey, he was right. No, it's he was wrong. And it worked out in our favor. So we need to hold them to the fire when they do things wrong. When they do right, cool. We got to give them credit. So how about Johan Moncada there adding the insurance run, the huge bomb late in the game. Didn't get all of it. It barely got out, but the run counts just the same. You love to see Johan putting a swing on that late in the ball game to put it out of reach. Yeah, and I was uh, discouraged a little bit by the bat that happened in the seventh inning where uh, Luis Robert walked and then Yoan came up. He looked dangerous. He looked like he was about to do some things, but then um, Corbin Burns again with the filthiness and he struck him out and Yoan looked bad on that uh, plate appearance. And then the next time he came up, yeah, I was very uh, surprised that he hit that ball that hard and got up to that high fastball. Um, so surprised that I yelled out, get up. And I know my neighbors heard me and they probably know when a White Sox game is going on because they hear just yelling all the time. And I scared the hell out of Courtney. But when I said, get up, cause she wasn't expecting it either. So yeah, yo, I'm mercy. They didn't get all of it, but it got enough. And it's good to just feel, you know, that powerful. You hit the ball, not even on the label, and a high fastball, and he just carries out of the dome. It was a glorious moment. We needed that insurance run. I mean, it didn't you know turn out to be needed, but that breathe, that air you breathe instead of you know, uh, Christian Yelich coming up from that bottom of the ninth with the as the winning run, he comes up as a tying run. It feels a little bit more relaxed. It feels comfortable when you get those insurance runs and take advantage of what the pitchers are giving you. So Moncada with the big bomb in the ninth inning. Putting the socks up for good, six to four. He goes three for five on the night. And Moncada, I mean, he he's the dude, man. We've we've given all the superlatives to Luis Robert, but Moncada is really what makes this offense go. When he's right and he's locked in, he just you know the the game just turns so often on on his at bats. We talked about that game last game in Cleveland, the the you know the first game of this winning streak where he took that walk late in the game setting up everything else before that. He's got just the the, the ability to do everything at the plate to help you win a ball game and just I just I love watching him. I don't know how long we'll be able to watch him for this year, but that's like one of the pleasures I have watching the Sox this year is watching him turn into a flat out superstar. So tomorrow, the Sox looking for, can you believe it, six in a row. Ooh. Lucas Giolito on the bump tomorrow, going up against Brandon Woodruff. Should be another exciting one tomorrow. Good pitching matchup, and we'll be here, of course, to break it down after the fact, and we'll uh, keep you guys up to date 
with any Carlos Rodon news uh, in tomorrow's podcast as well. Uh, but oh, it is Mailbag Monday. How could I forget <laughs> after all this? What do you What do you say? Should we open up the mailbag? Why not? All right. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. All right, we got a couple emails tonight. We got one from a perennial Mailbag Monday contributor, Mike Victor. He writes this. I loved hearing your Yankees bleacher story a few pods back, Tanny. It reminded me of a trip I made with friends in the late 1990s. One of my buddies was wearing a Sox hat, but the Yankees were mid-dynasty and they were playing the Orioles, so no one paid him much mind outside of a comment here or there. Well, honestly, they weren't wrong, so we couldn't do anything but agree we did witness an oriole fan's hat get destroyed and the bleacher heckling that day did not disappoint you guys ever do any heckling at the ballpark what was the worst heckling you've heard what is the most creative just looking for more things i missed from the park this year talk to you soon thanks mike all right so heckling at the ballpark uh, what's what's some of the most savage and uh and what's some of the most fun? I can't think of too many savage moments. Maybe I can think of something while, while you're sharing yours, but I can think of some fun stuff. Heckling at the ballpark. I'm trying to think. Uh, really, since I've been going to games, it used to be, you know, me, people used to MF players, and that was cool with the rest of the audience. They would, you know, say, you know, they're down there, I'm down here, and I, I could do whatever I want if I pay for the ticket. I think... In my older days, since I've been 30, I'm 41 now, people have calmed down. I understand these are humans down there. You can say what you want to say to them, but I would also, you know, protect against that because they are humans and they are also uh, big, huge men. So if you wouldn't say this to their face out in the streets, never say it to them at a ballpark just because you're um, on the other side of the fence. Ask Ron Ron. Ron Ron will come and get you. Ron Artest. <laughs> so I haven't really heard any heckling lately. So uh, it's never uh, – it's a good thing because if somebody hears a good uh, heckle, they'll salute you. They'll give you a – hey, that was a good one. That's an original one. Nothing like, you know, if you're at a Yankees game and talking about the payroll or things like that. But I get creative with it. Be funny. Be clever if you're going to heckle a opposing team's player. Don't – you don't do the same thing that everybody else does. Be like 311 and come original. Um, oh, geez, a 311 reference tonight on the pod. Uh, this, this, this is what you. This is what you don't pay anything for here. Um, I, I, you know, I, I can't remember. You know, I, I really don't like when people get on players and they're ridiculously over the top mean. You know what I mean? Like it just, it, it's kind of distracting. Like I hate when someone's loud behind you and they're trying to be funny. Because to me, myself included, but most people just aren't funny. Most people aren't creative. But I will tell you some of the most fun that I ever had is when my dad had season tickets down the uh, the left field line uh, at the G-rate and Boston would come into town and Manny Ramirez would be playing left field. You talk about a guy that just gets it. This was like in the peak of, of Manny being Manny, you know, going behind the green monster to take a piss and just like the, the whole circus <laughs> that, that, that revolved around Manny at that time. And no one had more fun with whatever Sox fans were saying to him than Manny Ramirez. Like, I'm, I'm talking like acknowledging everything with every pitch. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love it when, when there is that, that, that back and forth going with, with, with the players and the fans where, where it's like not – 
you know, contentious. It's not over the top mean. It's not vulgar. You know what I mean? Because I got I got a kid now, so I don't like when people get vulgar because it's it's so lowbrow. You know what I mean? Like I, you have a little artistry to it. You know what I mean? But but the back and forth aspect is probably one of my favorite things. And just like you know, ride get riding on Manny for dogging it or taking a poor route to a ball, and then like he would shrug his shoulders out there or you know sort of put his his hands on top of his cap like oh what are you gonna do you know what i mean like i, I love that part of it you know the stuff that you never see on tv during a broadcast but just that back and forth when when the when the players get it because that that comes also with some of the best players in the game like i remember tory hunter was it was notorious for going back and forth with Sox fans out there in center field because Sox fans had no choice. Like we hated Torrey Hunter because he was so damn good, you know, and like any ball that was hit to him, he was getting, and we, you know, just trying to think of all the things that you could possibly say to throw him off his game, but there was nothing you could say to get Torrey Hunter off his game. And he knew that. And he would just turn around and smile or, you know, Th- you know show you the show you the ball after he caught it you know what i mean you thought it was in the gap and he just shows you the ball before he chucks it back into the shortstop or second basement you know what i mean stuff like that like i, I love that part of it you know when when a player is an active participant with the back and forth like that to me is there's there's nothing better like especially considering that's one of the great things about going to a to a game in person back when you could do such a thing but i i love that part of the game but nothing nothing too savage i, I mean when i was out there and at, at old yankee stadium it was pretty savage like you know they they were you know I, I, they would say some things uh if you were wearing an opposing team's jersey that, that you couldn't say in public these days i mean this was only like 10 years ago but we've kind of changed as as a culture where now it's yeah. like someone would turn around and be like hey man take it easy but not at that point at that time in new york city um but yeah it's i, I love that part of it but yeah i can't think of anything too o- over the top you know i kind i kind of tune it out when it's not funny to be honest with you so i wish i had better better uh stories there mike but it is what it is um and did you see that this late contribution we got to the mailbag tonight it was, it was just I did few, not. it was just a few minutes ago this is from uh someone named leslie Leslie says, "Oh, I know Leslie, <laughs> Twins oh. fan." Oh, okay. So here's what here's what Leslie says: "You idiots make me laugh." I was like, "Oh, this person listens to the pod; they get it because <laughs> we're clearly <laughs> hilarious." Um, sucks are above five hundred. Who are? I don't get it. Who are the? the I, 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 we don't do. It's a White Sox. You say sucks? Oh, sucks. It must be a typo. Sucks are above five hundred. Yeah. Well, yeah. This person seems to be a Twins fan, so we'll give a little leeway and uh, with the spelling. And now they are AL Central champs, even though the Twins just won two of the three against the Sucks. Um, Oh, I think what's happening here is they're making a, a clever pun with socks and sucks. I think is what Leslie's trying to achieve here. I, I could you need be to wrong. spell it right. <laughs> like if you were to, like it's S O X. If you're gonna go with sucks, just go with a U there instead yeah. of he spelled it S U C K S. That's that's not even close. Yeah, and Leslie. They, yeah, learn and, how to spell. So the twins Minnesota. just two of the, the twins just won two of three against the sucks, and the twins are like five games ahead of first place. And then in all caps, go twins! Thank you, Leslie, for checking out the pod and uh, hanging on our every word. We appreciate it. You know, and I don't know what type of fandom, uh, what type of fan would would reach out to a, a team below them in the standings. Um, and, and concern themselves with, with what we're doing here on the Locked on White Sox podcast, especially since we did nothing but give credit to the Twins. And I believe yeah. I believe I said that Sox weren't quite on the Twins level yet, 
um, yes. um, when they when they took two out of three in the opening series. But this is definitely coming from an insecure person who looks like behind them and over their shoulder and worries about what someone else is doing and and points out. You know what I mean? This is just this is this this just reeks of ne- of insecurity. What do you think about Leslie's email here? Yeah, Leslie. I mean, if you want twins action i guess our guy nash walker i think his name is he has a locked on twins uh episodes that you can uh feast on but we appreciate you listening to every single one of these locked on socks episodes hate listening to them we appreciate it. and you i'm gonna check your twins are five games ahead of the socks no that's not true of uh, the socks sorry oh wait. leslie okay. um they are only two games in front of the white socks the two games that the minnesota twins beat the white socks are the difference right now so yes leslie you're wrong again learn how to spell eat your your regular ass juicy lucy put the cheese on the outside no no you don't understand I mean, herbie you don't understand the cheese they put the cheese on the inside so it's special so it's lava hot that's why so you can't eat it so Ugh, you burn your good. taste buds off so you can't tell if it's good or not yes so you can eat the rest of their food and you know be polite i mean usually minnesota people are just extra nice this leslie not that nice i'm not a fan of you leslie so I want you to just pay attention to your twins. Pay attention to what they're doing and how they're doing it. La Bamba squad is great. Don't worry about us. We'll see you in the playoffs. Yeah. Actually, we won't because the Yankees will beat you by then. <laughs> that's if, if history is any indicator, that's definitely true. But, yeah, but I think Leslie's seeing all the clips – being promoted by MLB, MLB Pipeline, and all the White Sox highlights, you know, it's just it's just insecurity coming through. What are, what are you gonna do if you know? It's you hate to see it. You absolutely hate to see it. Uh, you know, especially with all those World Series titles that the Twins have racked up uh, over the last two decades of AL Central dominance. But that does it for the Mailbag Monday edition. A White Sox winner recap, six to four over the Brewers. Uh, you got anything else tonight, Herbie? I have nothing else, Chris Tannehill. What about you? No, um, that's it, and I'll be on the uh, Bart Winkler show uh, in the morning. And how, how was I listened to your hit on uh, on the fan in Milwaukee today? Nice, nicely done. Uh, sounds like you had a little bit of fun there on Milwaukee radio today yourself. Yeah, Tim Allen was the host, not the uh, comedian that used to be a drug pin, a drug lord <laughs> guy. Uh, the great Milwaukee host. He was very good. I enjoyed his time there and uh, he hosted me pretty well asked me some great questions about the Milwaukee Brewers and also about my Chicago White Sox it was enjoyable 15 minutes I had on 105.7 the fan in Milwaukee yeah so if you're if you're listening to this very early uh Tuesday morning or late Monday night here um you you can catch me in the eight o'clock hour uh with Bart Winkler on the fan in Milwaukee so it should be fun but that's all I got. Why don't you close this out, Herbie, and let these people know how they can uh, get a hold of us for the next mailbag. Yes, if you want to be like our great friend Mike Victor or Pete Han, good Mailbag Monday contributors, or that jerk Leslie, email us at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnSocks. Chris Tannehill is found at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. So that'll do it for this episode of Locked on Socks and Mailbag Monday. We appreciate you listening. Tell a friend if you like this show. If you like the podcast, tweet it out. 
because we like to have new listeners experience what we're doing. If they don't like it, they can move along, but at least recommend it to a friend and say, these guys are really locked in to their White Sox. You get it? Locked on Sox? Um, So for Chris Tannehill, I'm Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to Locked on Sox.